Hi, and welcome to Total Rewind, a Filmmaker's Compass podcast where we take a look at movies 30 years and older and see if they still hold up. I am D-Man, joined by CP. Another great discussion in store for you guys about an 80s classic and whether or not this still resonates. So CP, throw it over to you. Tell us a little bit about the movie we're going to be discussing. 80s classic from 1986, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Written by John Hughes. Directed by John Hughes. Produced by, you guessed it, John Hughes. Starring Matthew Roderick, Alan Ruck, and Mia Sara. As far as John Hughes goes, does he does not direct all of his classics, does he? He wasn't always the director. He was often a writer-producer. He didn't direct the Vacation movies. He didn't yeah. direct Home Alone. Did he direct Breakfast Club? Yes. Ooh, I'm sure we'll talk about that too. Yeah, we'll have like a, we'll, we'll do a throwback. We'll just have like a whole John <laughs> Hughes Total Rewind week or month or something. Yeah, because I mean, obviously to. one of the things he does so well is, you know, he connects with like teenage audiences. He's not making sci-fi or uh, kind of comic book movies, right? They often, their kids and these movies take place in the 80s, in the time that they were written and often in Chicago. I believe that's because he's from Chicago, loves Chicago. I think, you know, one of the first things I wanted to mention about Ferris Bueller's Day Off is that I believe some of the uh, traveling around the city throughout the day and the setting was supposed to be his love letter to Chicago. It might make sense. This is a video podcast as well. Why CP is wearing what he's wearing. For what it's worth, I am also wearing a White Sox hat. So he's decked out in Cubs gear. Yeah. I'm a Sox fan, but we're both fans of Chicago sports because we're Midwest guys. It was a lot of fun watching the movie and seeing all the places they've been, right? Because, I mean, they go to like the top of the Sears Tower. I've been to the top of the Sears Tower. It's yeah. pretty neat. Uh, I've never been to Wrigley. Though. I, in fact, have many times because uh, I'm a great American and a Cubs fan. Well, funny story. And you were actually there. This was in uh, middle school back in the Midwest. Our entire grade took a field trip to go to Wrigley to watch Cubs game. Yes. And I declined to go because I was a Sox fan. And at that time, I was like, I'm not going to go watch the Cubs. I don't want to watch them. Why would you miss going to a baseball game? Whoever it is. I, I never understood that, dude. Well, I, I don't understand it anymore because, I mean, even though I hate the Cubs and I would never wear Cubs gear, anything like that, I mean, getting a chance to go to Wrigley would be fun. And then thinking back on it, I miss probably a really great day of memories with my friends. You know, do I regret it? Yes. You won't find me in Cubs gear, though, unless I lose a bet. Well, we're going to make that happen at some point. Yeah, maybe on this show. <laughs> So stay tuned. Anyway, yeah, you know, the first thing I did want to mention right out the gate is, you know, we're a couple Midwest guys. It's a Chicago movie. It was a lot of fun just from that sense. Not a lot of movies get made in Chicago. I think John Hughes was also aware of this. I think he had a quote somewhere where he's like, America has like a love fest with New York City. Hollywood is in LA. So he was like, you know, not a lot of movies get made in Chicago where Chicago is kind of front and center, right? For the perfect example is like The Dark Knight. They film mm -hmm. it in Chicago, but it's Gotham City. I found that fascinating. He does a fantastic job here. His, his Chicago tour, right? Exactly. I know at one point he was quoted as saying, I think when he was making Home Alone, he said he liked working in Chicago because you were so far away from all the studio apparatus, right? Oh, there's that too, right? Gave him the freedom that he needed to make his movies. Yeah, they can't come down to set and be like, what the hell are you doing? Yep. <laughs> you you got to get a note from some messenger guy and he's <laughs> like, oh, I'll deal with that later because there's just no urgency on it. Call him back tomorrow. 
When it comes to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, when we're talking, it's cultural relevance. It does still stand out. You know, when you think of 80s classic, obviously 80s teen classics, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is almost always mentioned. The scenes from the movie and, and the idea of taking the ultimate sick day to play hooky is something that we've seen recreated in television shows, movies, cartoons, even to the point that Matthew Broderick was in a commercial and Alan Ruck was in another commercial. This is something that still stands out and is relevant in our modern understanding of pop culture. It launched some actors' careers. It's another, you know, notch on John Hughes' legacy. You know, John Hughes, I can't stop going back to him, but I heard the same thing. Like, he wrote this script in, like, a week or two weeks or something. <laughs> Insane, I don't know if you know dude. that story, Insane. but yeah, like... Insane. I was reading about just him in general. I guess he was, like, a writing wizard. Most people have to, like, write in bursts and then breaks, and I guess he just would, like, get in the zone and knock out out, like endless pages That's and he surprisingly he stuck to a lot of early first draft concepts as well because he felt that the creativity would get watered down if they started revising it too hard he mm. thought that a lot of the energy that he was putting out in the initial draft was what he would want to go with wow. that's pretty crazy that is crazy that's not how any screenwriters seem to think these days no i know yeah, now it's like, hey, make sure you have like, you know, a Bible, character bios, like a whole world yeah. building, like this whole thing. And it's like, I guess, yeah, he's like, nah, just write the script. But Ferris Bueller's Day Off also gives us, you know, great quotes. Bueller, Bueller. Great he- story about this, dude. When I went to Pepperdine, uh-huh. Ben Stein was actually a faculty member there. And people told me that they actually had him do that in class with him. That's amazing. Think about how little he's actually in that role. It launched like that guy's entire career. Yeah. He literally, he was in commercials. He reprised the role in other movies. It, like one little scene changed that guy's life. And then I guess like, yeah, when he's like the boring teacher, you know, that kind of became like a little bit of a, like a trope. Yeah. You know, that type of guy. I think it's like Doug on uh, Nickelodeon. Like the teachers are like, (laughs) you know, like that boring, like the kids just like zone it out. The movie brings us the song. If you've ever seen Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Day Bow Bow. (laughs) Uh, That's that's a classic scene. Day Bow Bow. (laughs) (laughs) Which is amazing. Nice performance. Oh, yeah. So, and I mean, now that song is obviously it's an eighties classic song. Actually, I don't know if that's an eighties song, is it? I don't know. I know it's in a couple other eighties movies. It's associated with Ferris It's attributed to Ferris Bueller. It's played in car commercials. Other movies have used it now. I mean, Always Sunny had their scene. You know, the launching pad was right here at Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, and then like you said, I think there's an element of fantasy plays into our culture. Every kid now, if you're lucky enough to fake being sick and get to stay home, you're like, what do I do? It's my Ferris Bueller's day off. What am I doing today? Am I just going to sit here and like eat fruit roll-ups because mom and dad are at work or running errands (laughs) or lead a parade? Oh, there's so much in this movie that even the phrase Ferris Bueller's day off is often referred to if people just are at home, not always sick, but you get that kind of lucky day off. So it was a lot of fun. I don't know. I mean, you can't help but, I don't know, not forget this movie. Then I'm going to throw it over to you. Let's let's talk a little bit about the actual filmmaking here, which is unique in its own right, has led to some popular kind of fan theories. There's a lot to talk about. You can't talk about any John Hughes movies without looking at John Hughes's style. It comes through in his writing. But the other part of it is actually in his editing. Apparently, the initial cut of the movie was abysmal. No hmm, one laughed. Hughes and all the cast thought, they're like, we're done. We're never going to make another movie after this. Hughes said, wait, just give me two weeks. 
and he went back and he recut the film himself. I actually, I saw a quote as well from, I think the editor was like Paul Hirsch. And he said the same thing. John Hughes had come to him and they had to like rearrange the entire sequences, which is crazy. And then we got what we've seen now and it plays into John Hughes's comedic timing, the way he cuts the film together from scene to scene, Mm -hmm. right? These brilliant fourth wall breaks that he embeds throughout the film as Ferris is constantly talking to us, the audience. And that's another element of the the actual filmmaking that's fascinating is the fourth wall breaks. You don't see that a lot. I mean, again, it's one of those things where even the existence of it, it was, you know, really popularized in this movie, you know, the whole Malcolm in the middle type scenario. It's weird because you really don't see it a whole lot. People turning to the camera, you know, you might get some winks. I think, you know, there's this whole sitcom era of like the mockumentary Mm -hmm. where people get a chance to talk to the camera, but not in this kind of like, we're literally breaking the wall. I'm not talking to a camera. I'm talking to you, viewer of this thing. Because they do things too, where like he says things and then next to him, they'll put like titles. How to and I was like, parents. I mean, yeah, I'm like, I don't know what the rules of this whole world are, but you know, they're kind of just going with it. They do things too, that at the end of the movie, they roll credits and they have side by side, like an actual video. This movie also uses an end credit scene, breaking kind of filmmaking conventions. So even though other people have done all of those things before, they're kind of just rolling it all in thing and being like, let's just have a good time. Very unique stylized experience watching this film, which you have seen other films draw upon, pay homage to as they're making their teen comedies in in the later decades. What's interesting too about the fourth wall breaks, I don't know if you've heard this theory, but people have attributed Ferris Bueller as being imaginary. Now, Have you heard that one? I I have heard it. So he's essentially like Cameron's friend. The idea is this all plays out like Fight Club. Cameron is this person who he is a direct foil to Ferris. He's very worried. He's nervous. Ferris is constantly manipulating the powers that be, the adults in his life. Cameron's terrified of the adults. He doesn't want them to get mad at him. So they're foils, but the idea is... Ferris was actually kind of like his imaginary friend that he uses to get him out of this sick state. It works, right? Mm-hmm. You even hear him a couple of times in the movies, like Ferris can do anything. Even those lines lead credence to this kind of imaginary friend theory because, you know, no one can do anything. I don't know. It was was just interesting because it's another take on the movie. I didn't necessarily get that watching it. I felt that Ferris was like a real character. I mean, what do you think on that? One of the big criticisms of the film is that A, Ferris Bueller is an unrelatable, unattainable character. B, he doesn't change and grow as a character, which we'll talk about later when we get into story. Mm -hmm. John Hughes also has this great line where when he was talking with Matthew Broderick about Ferris Bueller, he said, he's not a man. He's an idea. He's something to aspire to. So essentially, this is teenage Batman, who we all want to be as Ferris Bueller. Yeah. When you look at it in that way, I mean, you can kind of see the difference. I'm with you. I think he's a guy, especially from the fact that so much of the movie is apart from Cameron and we are following Ferris directly. It leads some credence to the fact that he is his own character when you compare it to something like Fight Club, where doesn't really play out that way. The way Ferris interacts constantly throughout the movie without Cam, there's an existence of his family. He's a known student at the school. To me, that makes it seem like this entire movie would have to be in Cameron's head. And I just don't believe that to be true. I didn't find it very plausible, but I did read about it. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> I think it just really stems out of that fourth wall break, breaking that regular convention of filmmaking. It does add a sense of airiness to his character because there is something unique going on here that we don't get with most other characters. 
The soundtrack I thought was pretty cool. I loved, you know, the parade, twist and shout, really got everybody going. I liked that they had Star Wars music. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Of course. Anybody? Of course. Anybody? <laughs> Yeah, uh, that was great. I, I forgot about that. So when it played, I was like, yes. It's such a I, funny scene. Yeah, the guys steal the Ferrari. They're having fun a lot, I think. They do these kind of like block clips where they'll show somebody kind of moving across the screen and then they cut and they're like moving back. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's the, uh, what's his name? Rooney, the vice principal or whatever. Yeah. He's like getting chased by the dog and you see him through a window and he like runs across and he's like, ah, and then he, they cut yeah. back and all yeah. that. So you could just, I don't know. I just felt like they were, the filmmaking style in this movie was like, they're having fun. And I think that's contagious. It translates very well to the audience. What's crazy to me too, is when you look at the filmmaking style, this could easily end up like a Disney channel original movie. It could have been a made-for-TV movie for the Disney Channel for teens, but the filmmaking style is adult, and they're doing a lot of grand things that give the film an air of legitimacy without ruining the fun. And one of those things, again, is Chicago, because if this was made for Disney Channel, you would not get a parade downtown Chicago. You would not be able to go to Wrigley. You would show a shot of Wrigley and then put your characters on, like, a bench set. Yeah. They actually went. They, they were there. I read about it. Like, they filmed at Wrigley during games that legitimacy adds to the fun because we're like they're really at the top of the sears tower like that's sure. kind of cool M most movies would just fake it you just go wide shot of chicago and then put them in a what looks like the top of a skyscraper you know chandler's office and friends or something <laughs> and there they are talking next to the window but this yeah. movie really goes there and for that reason i think the you know the location scouting and everything i'm sure john hughes dream had a blast doing it it was really well done and it, it works i think it helps lift the movie up I think we got to start talking about the story and the characters. That's the All strength right. of, of John Hughes writing. That's where we have to go next. You mentioned earlier that Ferris is actually one of the most static characters. He doesn't change. He doesn't really have an arc. He uh, has a trajectory, get away with being sick for a day and going and kind of having your dream day. He doesn't, by the end, have any sort of notable, notable change with the exception of one thing at the end of the movie, which is possibly the relationship with his sister. That's really the result of her arc, not his. I would challenge that point. Throughout the movie, Ferris Bueller says he doesn't believe in isms. He chooses to believe in himself, right? Mm -hmm. Then later in the movie, he talks about how you can never go too big, right? Yep. And this is what it is. It is a movie of Ferris Bueller living in the moment and pushing the limits of how big can you go? This is a film about escaping, escaping from the prison that's high school, the prison that is suburban life and, and the prison that is teenager-ism. Mm -hmm. lack of freedom. So he's going to give the middle finger to society, live the life that he wants to live one more time because it's his ninth sick day. Right, yeah. Ferris Bueller goes to the extreme in every moment, except when they get back to Cameron's garage. Mm -hmm. And what happened? When the car goes down, he acknowledges that they went too big. And he says, hey, this one's on me. I'm going to take the blame. The rest of the movie, Rooney, his parents, his sister, the guy in the restaurant, he won't let anyone tell tell him that he's gone too far mm -hmm. and he won't acknowledge that he has until that moment when he says, my bad, I'll take the heat for this. Yeah. That is the moment where Ferris Bueller has reached his limit and has learned that there are consequences to his actions, I would argue. That's a great point. I think there is a little bit of growth. The real interesting dynamic is Cameron represents the audience. That's us. Okay. Yeah. We're stuck. We're scared of vice principals. We're yeah. scared of our parents. We're scared of getting in trouble. 
But Ferris Bueller's who we want to be. He's the guy who can talk his way out of things. He's not afraid to take a chance and to just do it. I think at heart, everybody admires that quality. Right. Everyone needs a friend like that because we all build our own walls. We all want to stay safe. We dream of doing those things, but unless somebody really pushes you to do it, you don't do it. You say you would, but you don't. You know what I mean? We need the right kind of peer pressure to step out of our comfort zone. And what's amazing about the garage scene is not only is that the scene that Ferris Bueller grows in. But that's also the final scene where we see Cameron grow. He's not afraid to stand up for himself. He's not afraid to be a man and accept responsibility and action. We talked when we watched Animal House last week, how coming of age films are about people leaving the childhood state and preparing for adulthood. And what's amazing is as they run the gauntlet through Chicago that day, testing their limits, we see a different Ferris and a different Cameron. They grew. They went through it and they came out the other side as quote unquote men. And at the start of the day, they were both boys. That's a good point. I mean, I think Cameron's arc is the more clear one. We recognize he is literally saying like, I need to be a man. I need to stand up. So we see his growth. I don't know. Another interesting arc is that of his sister. Now she makes a choice at the end of the movie to help Ferris when she's basically been a villain the whole movie trying to uncover his lie Mm -hmm. and ruin his day. Change, I guess, comes about from Charlie Sheen. Yeah, you know, so sage of good advice. Well, it's just funny because the lesson that she goes through and comes to realize is if you place too much stock in someone else in your life and not on yourself, you're not happy, right? If she just let it go and Ferris gets away with it, it feels like injustice, but really she's like, who's he hurting most of the time? He's just getting away with something that we all kind of wish we could, but Mm -hmm. we don't. We just don't, Mm -hmm. there's no one there to push you to do it. So you're like, man, how come he gets to go be on a parade? Because he got up there. You know what I mean? Like, that's not actually a bad thing. You're like jealous. You know, how come he gets to stay home sick? Because he faked being sick. He Mm -hmm. went for it, Mm -hmm. right? He took the action that most of us don't do. And I think she realized, and it's shown through, she starts making out with the guy. I think Charlie Sheen was literally listed as like delinquent boy. (laughs) He didn't have a name. And I don't know if that doesn't sum up Charlie Sheen. You know, her actions are actually changed when at the end, she's able to let it go. She too kind of went through a transformation where she's like, you know what? It's fine. To that end, I think they have, you know, probably from here, a slightly better relationship as well. A more, like you said, a more adult brother, sister relationship. Another thing I wanted to bring up, not just the arcs, but how the movie portrays adults and power figures, because they're pretty oblivious and they do kind of get like shit on. The vice principal is is the biggest loser of that theme, but like the dad constantly throughout the movie, he's like right next to them, like literally right there. And he has no clue what's going on. I mean, I think he literally has like three or maybe four opportunities where like he could physically see Ferris. He's like, I don't know. I think part of that is Hughes trying to, again, illustrate during this transformation. Ferris Bueller is trying to grow up, but hold on to that element of that spirit of freedom, that adolescence rebellion. He doesn't want to be like the rest of the adults in the movies who are very entrenched in their identities or their jobs. They don't have the creativity and and the freedom and the ingenuity to skip a day and go to a Cubs game. I think one of the ways that you illustrate that is by making them buffoonish and out of touch and So easy to pull a fast one on because we want to be like Ferris. We want to be the guy that's not stuck in a rut, taking a chance and reaching for his dreams. And I think the scene that encapsulates that the best, and they they go to great pains to show this, is the parade. When he's (laughs) doing twist and shout, 
all the adults dance. It's like going to Disneyland and having permission to be a kid for a second. The dad in the office sees it and then he starts to, you know, groove a little bit. And that to me was the moment where I was like, hey, these adults are always acting like adults. There's rules. They've got to do all these things. If we all take just that little second out of your day to enjoy the music, you know, you're in your car, sing. Yep. If you want to sing, you know, put on a song, find the, the pleasures that are there because they're there. We just, most of the time, we don't take the time to see it because we're too wrapped up in what we're doing. To quote Ferris, life moves pretty fast. Yep. That line there is what the movie is about. He's the guy that says, hey, we got to take a day off to enjoy it. Before we become like all our parents and all the adults in our lives, they are not taking that moment. They've missed it. Yeah. And I think too, that that gets summed up, that whole theme gets summed up really well when they ask like, where do you think we'll be in a year? And they're like, you'll probably be at a different school. I'll be at this school and we won't really see each other anymore. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying is like, but we have this time together with each other now. And guess what we just did? According to Cameron, I just had the best damn day of my life. He'll never forget that day. Yeah, I think that sums up the theme of the movie pretty good is life moves fast. That quote at the end, to just don't miss out. You know, the, it's a call to action, really, to take action. Sometimes you just got to do it. And to listen to those, you know, not always, like you said, there's peer pressure that obviously is bad. It's not take the cigarette or the <laughs> booze or anything. But there are things where people will push you to go or try something. It's like maybe try something new, yeah. go somewhere new. What would Ferris Bueller do? I have to say, as far as story goes, I loved, really loved your explanation of Ferris's arc. Because even in not just my reading, but in most readings, you know, in a lot of the stuff, Ferris is known somewhat as a static character here. But when you realize that breakdown of his character is, you know, we reach the limit and he has a limit and he's also willing to take the fall for his friend. I think as a screenwriter, John Hughes is such a genius. You look at all his movies and you see such depth to characters and he really understands the teenage mind and yeah. the anxiety and the frustration and the feeling of, of being trapped that I think anyone who goes through adolescence can can relate to and understand and when you're on the other side you kind of forget those feelings and before you get to your adolescence you never really understand why people feel that way and Hughes is so great at getting in touch with it it's such a shame he passed away because he was such a great writer. Well, and the thing too is incredible is a lot of his work is wrapped in a, a comedy and not like high drama. Real gripe I have with the movie, and obviously we've seen it millions of times, is right before the pandemic, my brother and I took a trip to Chicago. Mm -hmm. And we tried- Is that where you got that hat? No, I'm Dude, I have a million of these hats. Come on. Okay. These are my people. This is my team. We tried during our trip to Chicago to hit as much as we could in a three-day- weekend. And uh -huh. I will tell you, it is pretty freaking hard yeah. to make it from the Sears Towers over to Wrigleyville in like a reasonable amount of time. I think the only real complaint you could have is the fact that there is no possible way you could see all those sites in Chicago in one afternoon. Yeah. That's really it. That's the only gripe I have with the film, but it doesn't matter because it's so fun. Yeah, it's it's funny too, because now that you bring up time, I actually thought of that, which was <laughs> like, I thought when they're at the Sears Tower, I was like, how long did they wait in line? Because they only have so much time before his parents get home. A ball game takes like three hours. Yeah, Plus right. you got to get there. I don't know that they stayed for the whole three. They're on the clock here. They went, they saw and left. They're also at the museum checking out art. They're at a parade. They're doing hour, hour, hour. You're like, how does this all add up? I wanted to bring up a, the, the one scene that 
I felt really exemplified how time works in Ferris Bueller's day off. And that's when they're faking being the girl's dad. And he says something, he's like, come outside and be there in 10 minutes. And like, they hang up, then they like argue for a few minutes. Then they have to go <laughs> get the Ferrari. He's got to convince him to take the Ferrari. Then they got to drive from his house to the school. And it was supposed to be 10 minutes. They pull a reverse of that at the end when Ferris is running home from yeah. Cameron's house. They kind of do the opposite. Minute they, long like, scene. And can, you know, expand it out to 15 minutes. But again, it's John Hughes having fun. And all those scenes are so brilliant. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, time in Ferris Bueller is, uh, you know, it works for the movie, but that might may not be how your day off would actually go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I look at Ferris Bueller and all the iconic stuff that came out of it, the shower scene, his pranks on his mother, on the guy, you know, his use of technology, you know, kind of making a nerd cool. And then the powerful story about taking action, the lesson. And I look at Ferris Bueller's day off and does it hold up? Is it a movie that you should watch today? And I think it's a hell yes. I really um, enjoyed it. I agree. How can you not love the movie? And we all, no matter what phase of life you're in, you need a reminder that, hey, sometimes you just got to play hooky. You got to yeah. take the day for yourself and live in the moment and make some good memories. And it does it so well. The movie is now 30 years old. It's amazing the articles that you will find online throwing shade at this film that I really just don't understand because I think it's great. And I think it's held up amazing. Hey, if you're out there and you're a Ferris Bueller hater, leave us some comments. Be sure to hit us up and who knows, maybe we'll bring you on the show and we'll have to discuss it. <laughs> you know, there's always room for another side, but as somebody that just watched the movie, I loved it. And I have fond memories of it. Even in a way you go back, you're revisiting the eighties, you're seeing the, the boom box and you know, some of that stuff. It was, it was just, it was cool. The movie holds up. Cause we're not, you know, we didn't have a section today on like special effects. You know, there's no, there's no uh, dinosaurs. <laughs> What's that? There's there's going to be dinosaurs on this tour, right? <laughs> Ian Malcolm. No, there's nothing like that. So, you know, there's maybe a little stunts, you know, when you look at like so the guys driving the car, there's a great shot of the car shooting backwards out of in through the glass. I mean, it clearly they did it. Yeah. Yeah, the movie holds up. I mean, it looks really good. The only thing is it just takes place in the 80s, but that's fine because <laughs> the themes are universal. They, they're not, like you said, it's teenage angst. It's trying to make sure you take advantage of the moment. All right, well, then we'll send it out. I also want to know, you know, do you guys think it held up? If you get a chance, go watch it again. I think it did, and I think it's something that uh, isn't going away. So be sure to continue the conversation on social media. We're on all the major channels. You can find the show on Google. Just type in Filmmakers Compass Podcast. On there, on our website, you'll find the links to all the places we are listed apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify youtube everywhere if there's somewhere we're not listed let us know we'll see if we can get on there <laughs> but you can follow me at big kid d-man you can follow cp at ndcal5 and we want to thank everybody so much for tuning in we hope you enjoyed the show and we'll be back next week with another episode of total rewind see you next week